Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying... Save us, Elon Musk. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my little pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, Simon <laughs> Maddox. How are you, Simon? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm, I'm loving the compliment of a little pot of gold. Not feeling too gold myself today. Uh, I've <laughs> done something to one of my toes. It's been ruining my day. You've done what to your toe? I don't know. I've done something to it. Woke up yesterday and it hurt, and it's hurt a lot more today. It like woke me up a few times in the night. Can't really walk on it properly. Have you broken your toe? Which toe is it? It's my big toe on my left foot. Oh, um, mate, that's that's an important toe. It's a toe you really you don't appreciate <laughs> until it's compromised. It's all about the balance, man. It's all about the big toe balance. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm using my heel for balance at the moment, which means I'm not very nimble. Like, there's a part of me that's terrified it's gout. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the rich man's disease. Well, it would exactly. suit. It would suit. I don't think I'd ever live it down with my accent in our group. <laughs> Simon's got gout. <laughs> yeah, Everyone just be like, yeah, of course he has. All that port and beef. <laughs> Speaking of uh, a disease that's usually related to to excess drinking, mm. I had a bit of excess drinking last week. In fact, I think I'm still recovering. So it was St. Patrick's Day last Thursday, and I feel like it was a bit of an epic quest. <laughs> I I mean, I guess everyone's the hero of their own story, right? But <laughs> yeah, I got up at I got up at ridiculous. I think I got up at like seven o'clock. Okay. And then got on an ICE train to Nuremberg, got into Nuremberg for 11, and started drinking excessive amounts of Guinness. I mean, my plan was to drink two, so drinking 10 was probably <laughs> beyond <laughs> even my ken. It's real dedication to the cause. <laughs> Very impressive. It didn't feel that bad. It didn't. I, I was sort of a bit wary of tweeting about the, the amount of beer I was having, because I think the assumption would be that I was totally hammered. But actually, because... Because I'd eaten well, and because it was spread out over about eight hours, it wasn't actually that bad. I mean, it works out quite well. It's a pint and a bit per hour. I mean, that's that's reasonable pace. Good average. And yeah, Guinness isn't a isn't a beer that like screws you up like other beers do. If you had ten Stellas or ten Boch, you'd be on the floor, maybe. But yeah, you're also. I mean, I've I've known you many years and got drunk with you many times. You're you're built of sturdy stuff. Uh, those legs don't quite. Oh, yeah, eventually it's going to have to. <laughs> Something's going to quit. But um, I think the way I sort of saw it was, it was almost like, do you know how people do a, a cure or they go on, like on these sorts of um, <laughs> yeah. spa weekends and stuff? The amount of iron my system must have been hit with due to the pints of Guinness that I was putting away, <laughs> I feel like it was almost like a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a. Um, a cleanse, okay. a Guinness cleanse. That's an interesting take on it. I felt mint afterwards. Actually, I had a bit of a hangover, but I felt genuinely like something had been fixed okay. in my system. <laughs> I, I, and I was like, I was, I'm just sure I had an iron deficiency, and now it's been eradicated <laughs> by, by a ten point session. But yeah, it was nice. It was nice seeing everybody in Nuremberg. It was nice drinking during the day. Is so illicit. Mm. It's it's one of my it's one of the few illicit things that that i still engage in but it feels like because of the way the bar's designed it's basically just a long corridor Mm -hmm. with a door at the front and a kitchen at the back Uh, people would periodically walk past and peer in and the kinds of looks you would get would be like normal people just looking just utter disgust (laughs) (laughs) people drinking pints of guinness at like 12 o'clock 11 o'clock something like that in the in the morning then there would be like people walking past who you could tell were just really jealous (laughs) i wish i was doing that this there's there's like a window on the world for a lot of the sort of average germans who walk around nuremberg city center as they walk past the irish pub and see it pretty full yeah for a lunchtime (laughs) Like a lot of people you could see were going, there's more people in there than usual. That's a bit <laughs> strange. But, and then they would realize it was St. Patrick's Day. And sort of. well, this, isn't, this isn't a day that's normally on a German calendar. Um, it's not a very well-observed holiday here, uh, unless you're part of the sort of immigrant community or drinking Irish pubs, and then there's great reason to support your local. You had quite a swathe of German society that mm-hmm. was... I left around seven, so I assume that's actually the best time to go because you don't see the worst impact. Okay. Because there's people who just can't hold their beer, right? So that that's always going to have an impact. But we had a crowd of like, I guess they were American, they could have been Canadian, so I, I don't know. Uh, definitely sound like they were American uh, women who 
very excited, taking lots of selfies with them wearing Guinness hats. So that's like one <laughs> one group. There was the sort of um, retiree Germans who were just like, fuck it, it's we're retired, yeah. let's have lunch in an Irish bar and have some Guinness. And some groups of lads st- slowly started to come in. As the afternoon wore on, uh, what else did we have? Oh, we had the American squaddies who were refused because they had the Johnson and Jox- Johnson vaccination, which me- which isn't uh, isn't part of the 2G process or something. It's not oh, recognized really? in the same way that BioNTech is, and they were refused, oh. um, which was the, the, the sadness on yeah. their faces. Honestly, it was a picture. And yeah, and then you just had like the office spots came in at the end. But what you do find is if a German does turn up for St. Patrick's Day, they have a shirt already. They already have a mm-hmm. hat. It all looks pristine. There's like people walk, walking in with Guinness shirts from like 1996 that look <laughs> like they're just out of the plastic wrap. They take it seriously if they do do it. Uh, but yeah, it was a nice, nice time. Nice time had by all, I feel. I mean, you also had three breakfasts, which is the key. It's, it's a lot of breakfast. <laughs> I mean, the first one was just a bowl of muesli because that's how I roll. Then I had some croissants. My only sort of vice is sugar, so I don't really eat a lot of fried food. I'm quite sensible. And so, like, two croissants was basically just... It's like a pure luxury. Pure mm-hmm. pure sort of hooky day, you know what I mean? Where you're, you're just getting away with everything. <laughs> so that's what I felt like. <laughs> um, and then I had a full-on fried breakfast which I haven't had one of them in probably a couple of years. So filled my boots while I could. Do you know the weirdest, the weirdest thing was because I was live tweeting it, right? We're in Finnegan's in Nuremberg and we know the owner of Finnegan's. And I got a random tweet from an Irish pub in Cologne. Really? That said, said hi, say hi to the landlord for <laughs> us. It's really funny. And I said to, I said to the landlord, I don't say his name uh, on the podcast, but... Um, I said to the landlord, "Oh, so and so said hello," and he's like, "Oh, tell him he's a tell him he's a C bomb." <laughs> I was like, "I'll record a video and you can do it." And he's like, "No, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be on social media." But it was just funny. It was very funny how it touched a lot of uh, a lot of different people. And then I, I got dogs abuse in the the day after when I reported in with a stinking hangover, and, and everyone was like, "Sirs, you're right. I was really jealous. <laughs> I was jealous of your photos on Twitter." I just thought everyone could live vicariously through me. Yeah, I mean, your Twitter feed was something to be jealous of, for sure. Anyone that enjoys a day in the pub, you had a fucking day in the pub. Wasn't holding back. I've just got to wait another 365 <laughs> days until the next one. It's the sadness. The sadness. It's the longest point between St. Patrick's Days. Is the next one on a Friday, then? I'm guessing it will be, which means that's going to be massive. I'm not going to be going home on the uh, 7 o'clock no. uh, ICE. The 7 p.m. Saturday. <laughs> it'll be like it'll be 7 p.m a week on tuesday yeah <laughs> so while i was lapping up all of guinness's finest booze what have you been doing not not a huge amount it's it's been pretty quiet i guess i guess the the, the best news is that the weather's turned i know i'm talking about the weather but you fucking love the weather every I time do. i edit the podcast you're always talking about the I weather i want to talk about the weather and i want to write poetry and nick won't let me <laughs> uh, yeah i totally vetoed your poem at the beginning um, i feel bad and uncultured but also oh, you're fine right you're decision. fine mate I'll, I'll do it one day secretly <laughs> but yeah barbecue season has started spring Woo-hoo! has sprung the equinox has passed and i've had now two barbecues already I am living the Vida Loca. And yeah, my grill, when I opened it, was still relatively clean from when Good. I last cleaned it. So Did you have one of them funny that. sacks you put over the top of it when it's winter? I, I wouldn't call it a funny sack. I got a protective sh- a shawl. I don't know. A, a, protect, a protective throw. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it did an all right job. But I still had to put in a bit of elbow grease to get everything spick and span. In preparation, I went to Aldi and just like dropped like 25 euros on meat. <laughs> which is always a really nice feeling so i've got a load of stuff in the freezer i've had some fackles i've done some i even tried, did some tofu for the first time on the barbecue how did that work out for you it was squeaky it was it was all right but it was pretty squeaky i ate it as quickly as <laughs> quickly as i could is it halloumi that you get oven dish things you can get in the cooler section in supermarkets of like halloumi for the barbecue yeah there's one brand i can't remember the name of it i'm, I'm not sure i really want to plug them anyway but it's quite squeaky they know they do one that's like they do paprika or Kreuter, 
other two flavors and the paprika one is is amazing um we get it all the time i know edica definitely stock it it is well worth it's not the cheapest cheese in the house but it's it's a, it's a real delight is that halloumi or is it grill caser because i always find i'm fascinated by grill caser i think it just calls itself grill caser I, I don't think it's a halloumi because it does it stays soft for about 15 minutes after you cook it and halloumi in my experience at least hardens up about yeah, two a little minutes bit. after but like grill casers yeah. There's nothing like it in in Britain. There's no like this is a cheese specifically designed to be cooked on a on a barbecue. Mm. If, if I ever go to a barbecue, someone's bringing it with them. I, I got nothing against it these days. Maybe before I was living in Germany, I'd be a bit like, no, I don't really want to grill a cheese on my barbecue. But it's it's a nice thing to have just like in the fridge ready to go. It can't all just be pork steaks and fackle and things like that or deliciousness but i feel like german barbecues do that better right where they have they have like a range yeah. of different things there's like a couple of salads there's some grill caser there's the meat there's probably like some roasted vegetables there's like there's like lots of different mm-hmm. stuff whereas when i um, my only abiding memory of british barbecues is like a bird's eye frozen beef burger that's like shriveled to the size of a twopence <laughs> And like badly burnt sausages. Yeah, like just shit food and like the no salads, no salads that I can remember. There'd be like a burger in a bun and that's all you get in Jack, you know. But I feel I may be doing a disservice to British barbecues. I'm sure it's come some way uh, since we left. I mean, obviously the weather in the UK, even down south where I'm from, where it is it's nice as far as British weather goes, isn't that conducive to barbecuing. You can't really rely on it. Whereas I know now for pretty much the next four months, it's going to be a possibility to get out there and grill. Um, even if I need a headlamp, it's not going to be too cold and yeah, it'll be all right. Why two? Why two uh, barbecues? It was just like, you, you enjoyed the first one so much, you're like, let's have another, yeah, <laughs> another one. Or you just bought so much meat or like what? I didn't, it wasn't two on the same night. I'm not an absolute loon. Um, no, but I, I bought a load of stuff, as I say. Didn't cook at all because it's just me and the wife. And so I had some stuff that had to be done within four days right? Um, before it went past best before. Yeah. Um, and then I do my grilled potatoes as well, barbecue potatoes, which is something my stepfather taught me. They're really nice. I, I, I never would have thought growing up in the UK, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to barbecue this potato. But if, if, you, if you have the right right equipment for it, you can you can genuinely barbecue I think we did that in the Scouts, though. We'd wrap potatoes in tinfoil and throw them in the fire. Yeah, I don't do that. That's... Well, you didn't do the Scouts? I, no, I, well, I got kicked out of Scouts on day one. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> it is. It's a very short story, so I'll just tell it quickly. I, I got thrown out for trying to push someone into a bit, a bit of dog shit. <laughs> it's not a very scouting thing to do. No, I'm not sure how they framed it. I don't remember. It was quite traumatic. Um, But I just thought it was all like good nature ribbing. And so I definitely wasn't the only one. Um, (laughs) I was the only one that got kicked out. (laughs) I feel like like this is a pain that you've carried with you. No, I always thought they were dicks. (laughs) 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 Anyway, back to potatoes. Yeah, Um, back to potatoes. (laughs) But our our neighbour's been like, because it's at that point in March where the weather's kind of improved but it's still there's no leaves on the trees really we can see right through the hedge out the the kitchen window right in the back uh, neighbor's yard and uh, he's been out there cooking up a storm with his Mm. very fancy looking barbecue it's got all like attachments and bits that fold out it's like a fucking transformer is what it is Mm -hmm. i've been watching with an eagle eye well i'm doing that british thing i'm not i'm if i was german i would just stare at him (laughs) out the window but i'm doing the british thing of like i'll be washing up and i'll be watching him out the corner of my eyes going oh i see he's got the uh i see he's got the uh those tongs interesting i mean i have to ask him where he got those from very nice very nice yeah i mean there's what there's there's various brands isn't there there's some I've seen them in the uh, in the Baumarkt. There's a various different yeah. brands of tong you can get. This is true. And Weber does seem to be the big brand. Mm. And we've got neighbours who we can see now because the leaves haven't grown in. And they've got a really beautiful, massive Weber. And I've never seen them use it. Um, but it's got a, a grill, um, like a branded tarpaulin on it as well. So oh, everyone you knows know. it's a fucking Weber. I'll tell you no. Um, well, see, that's the trick, isn't it? It's like you do that with your Volvo. You'd put like a Porsche cover over the top and people would think you've got a Porsche. <laughs> it's what, what I'd do with mine is stick a Weber you cover. Joey from Friends. And everyone thinks, <laughs> oh, they, Nick's got a bit of money, hasn't he? In this Weber grill. <laughs> Little do they know. It's one of those bullshit... <laughs> fucking crappy little metal ones that you take on uh, 
on on holidays to Italy. <laughs> I like it. So uh, I'm assuming then that if barbecue season's on, that every time I see you from now on until I guess October, you'll just be offering me barbecued meats of different variations. It's either that or we go and get kebabs. Um, why not both? I say, why <laughs> not both? <laughs> This is an option. Although, an update on Everest. Oh, I'm go interested. on. Everest has now, without warning, started offering sushi. Oh, hey, <laughs> so they, that's they fucking wrong. Pizza, kebab, and sushi, which is the trifecta of we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. We don't know what our customers want. I don't know where, where the sushi's coming from. No. Do you want to get sushi from the kebab place? I mean, there is no sushi place locally, so I guess they've... Cornered the market. Driven down the high street and thought, okay... There's a gap in the market here, as they must have done for the kebabs. But yeah, it's not encouraging, really. And they've still not produced a menu yet. <laughs> uh, they've not put any flyers in anyone's letterboxes yet, which you thought, which you would think would be one of the first things you do as a new business. They haven't got a website up. They haven't taken charge of the Google listing. They're, they're making all the mistakes <laughs> you hope they wouldn't make, like real elementary shit. Um, so I wish them all the best and I hope they stay there for a long time but business acumen is not being displayed in any meaningful way so far come on Everest get a website you should ask them if they need a business manager just get paid in kebabs and balloon up <laughs> yeah yeah it's fucking obvious man like opportunity knocks right yeah I got three durham a day I think I could probably <laughs> fucking hell imagine if you ate those oh yeah, that's mate. That's only 18 euros a day. That's a reasonable that's a reasonable rate for a consultant. I'll be fucking staging an intervention <laughs> soon enough, I'm sure, if you're on an, a three-kebab-a-day three diet. I can't see that lasting too long. I don't know what the Turkish for gout is, but I'm sure I'd find out. <laughs> Imagine, Simon, you're at work, you just, you know... Getting things done, teaching some lessons, improving people's English here and there. And at the end of the day, your your boss calls you over Zoom and says, Simon, I'm really happy with the work you're doing, but we're going to replace you now. And here's some security guards with balaclavas and, and handcuffs to lead you out the door. How would you feel, Simon? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd fear that I was about to be abducted. I mean, yeah, I've not had a great relationship with a lot of my bosses over the years. <laughs> um I'm yet to be fired though, <laughs> so yeah, this this would be quite quite a hit. But of course, you, this isn't just some wild fantasy, is it? It's not, well, I mean, it is one of my wild fantasies, but not necessarily. <laughs> you uh, want to fire me in, in, in this instance? <laughs> no, it's uh, the story of P and O Ferries, yeah. who last week created uproar in Britain by sacking 800 members of staff who were on board various different ships at the time. Mm-hmm. And replacing them with uh, cheap agency workers. Uh, the staff were not notified beforehand. They were only notified by a video call on on Thursday. It was their final day of employment. Unsurprisingly, a lot of the employees were like, no, we're staying on this boat until we get some explanation. And at that point, P&O Ferry sent in their security guards who, by certain reports, were wearing balaclavas and carrying handcuffs to lead them off the ships. P&O Ferries has said that it was a tough decision but it would not be a viable business without the changes i watched an interview earlier today of one of the i think one of the executives trying to defend what is essentially the quite literal indefensible here mm-hmm. yeah he didn't sound good he said oh yeah we've saved 2200 jobs and i'm like well that might be true but you didn't think of how traumatic and like bullshit your approach to saving those 2200 jobs might have been i mean firing people with that with that sentence this is the final day of employment. That's, I mean, destabilizing doesn't even come close to describing how that must be for people. And obviously, the cost of living crisis is a very, very real thing all over the world at the moment. But the UK is being hit harder than most. Energy bills are, are tripling in some cases, doubling at least. People are really struggling. The question that's always worth asking yourself and others is, how long would it be from you getting fired and losing your paycheck before the wheels came off? before you were mm-hmm. completely hopeless and helpless. And I think for a lot of people, especially young people, it's a matter of weeks, not months, a lot of the time. And it's definitely not a case of years before things went completely dire. These people working on piano ferries, these aren't executives being paid £100,000 a year. And these are people who are working close to and around minimum wage a lot of the time. 
P&O also refuses to clarify if they were matching a minimum wage law in the UK at this point. So it's possible some of these staff are actually getting paid less than minimum wage. Part of the reason that that these staff were being laid off was to cut costs because mm-hmm. despite have uh, P&O ferries having given a dividend to their shareholders in 2020 of 270 million pounds. Yeah, just say that again. 270 million pound dividend. Yeah, yeah, that was in 2020. They apparently have made massive losses during the pandemic, which is understandable, but at the same time, I think there's ways and ways of approaching things which we'll talk about in comparison to Germany in a moment, but mm-hmm. the sort of issue seems to be that they're cutting costs. And one way they're intended to cut costs is a weird loophole that you have with British ships that are sailing in and out of British ports, such as cargo ships, can employ people who are on minimum wage. So apparently a lot of these agency workers are working for potentially £1.88 an hour. Perfectly legal uh, because there isn't any restrictions in Britain. Oddly enough, in France and Germany there are restrictions weird weird that something odd has happened in britain where employment protection seemed to have uh seemed to have disappeared yeah, it's like how many pno staff from france or germany got fired that day uh, none i oh, believe it was, it, was, it was zero yeah it was yes, zero it was zero but in spite of this pretty terrifying loophole and lapse in employment rights the government has just come out and said that it's wholly unacceptable they're not going to do anything about it i mean i think a lot of stuff's being swept under the carpet given the current climate but Mm -hmm. one thing i'll i'll always will always just annoy me is tory politicians going on television or in parliament decrying things that essentially their responsibility (laughs) i can't believe i can't believe we don't have a a rule and we've been in power for 12 years and done nothing about this and then it's happened you know yeah even i read a uh, frankfurt Allgemeine article which basically started with britain which has far laxer employment laws than germany (laughs) like that was the opening gambit and you're like yeah yeah i mean it just wouldn't happen in germany to aid in my understanding of what would happen if this happened in germany i went down a, a horrific rabbit hole okay. into german employment law uh, the kundergunds schutzgesetz mm-hmm. which is protection against dismissal act i believe is the, the correct translation yeah. right. but it was uh, yeah it's just very it's very complex there's a lot of requirements that need to be met the size of company is a factor mm-hmm. the amount of employees is a factor but the, i think essentially it said that if you're going to dismiss a large amount of employees within 30 calendar days then you have to notify uh, the employment office so they can work out a way of okay. resolving the issue potentially coming to some kind of compromise if possible um, and they've got to explain why they're doing it. They've got to explain the number of people who are going, period, and when it's going to happen, what criteria they're going to use to select workers to be made right redundant, and all of this stuff. And it's just it's very deep and complex. Yeah. And it's the kind of law that you would hope like every country has, but it turns out not every country has sort of these kinds of protections. And that's not that's even before we've discussed unionizing and workers councils and stuff like that just to quickly go back to to government for a second in the uk because you have at the moment in cabinet truss patel Quateng, and javid um or is it gove then the four of them wrote a book uh in which they described the english worker as britain unchained i think it's called that's it britain yeah. unchanged thank you uh the idolist in in europe or maybe the world mm-hmm um, so this is a government that the cabinet members, current cabinet members, previously released a book that basically slammed the work ethic of the British mm. staff and basically said that this kind of support for business, allowing them to fire people when and how they choose, is the right direction because this is just unfettered capitalism. I think as Rab is quoted as saying, we need more ability to hire and fire. So, well, here, here you go. Here's your yeah, hire I mean, and fire. I agree. We should be able to fire Rob. It's, it's yeah, an absolute yeah, fucking I mean, joke yeah. that he's still got a job. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, it's really fucking hard to get rid of an MP, but it's uh, it's relatively easy to sack 800 employees. Kind of feels like the best the best job security you can have at the moment is just to have shit on Johnson. <laughs> yeah, it is. You get a knighthood. Yeah, if you got some skele- a part of a skeleton in your closet that's attached to Johnson, you are 
you are golden. So yeah, that's the mistake. These people unionised instead of just like going to the Bullingdon Club. It's really disgraceful. It's really disheartening. And it just highlights that the Brexit is just a disaster for the normal person. There is no, there's no pot of gold here. There's no silver lining whatsoever. People are just a commodity and very little else to this government and the, the future of the country. It's, it's really, really sad. Really, really sad. Well, that's it. I mean, it's very much the sort of who, who spilled the milk like you did mm. oh i didn't it was a bigger boy that did it also like it always just it's the shock and like oh i was so can't believe we weren't told about this and and it's like well is there a law that they've broken no no laws okay so like you can't be that shocked that this has occurred they're talking about withholding and i guess this would be the litmus test right is the government could demand P&O give back the money they were given because of um the pandemic from the government I suspect unlikely because the company that owns P&O is actually a Dubai-based. Yeah. Um, at the moment, and this this is something that bled into other sort of British foreign politics recently. But basically, if you've got oil and you're not Russia, <laughs> Britain's Britain's there we'll for talk. you. Yeah, Britain's Britain's <laughs> going to send the PM over to to beg for your uh, energy. This isn't an exceptional story in many ways in the UK. A similar thing happened with British Gas. Yeah not that long ago, mass redundancies with very little warning. But I think one of the interesting things about this is that the majority, I'd assume, of British people have a personal connection to P&O as well. Because if you were lucky enough to, to have a European holiday in the 80s, there was a really good chance at that point that you would drive into France on a P&O ferry. I think I went to Denmark with my family on a P&O ferry, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's a really good way to get into Europe, especially at that point where like flying with a family of five or six was difficult or expensive. You couldn't take your own stuff if you're going camping in, in France or whatever. And so we've all got some sort of tangible relationship with companies like P&O. It's like so many things that I think you see this in Germany. And I remember speaking to German employees who were bemoaned these large industrial concerns that they worked for and how they used to be like talk about the family when they talked about their workers and now they don't like that's the reality is these businesses like why would why would a dubai business not do that but dubai not because yeah. people in dubai are particularly unethical i mean that's a different debate for a different day but it doesn't matter to them like the british government don't care that there are companies employing people who uh, dock, uh, dock their ships in, in British ports who pay their employees below the British minimum wage. Like, that's fine. Mm. Why would the Dubai-based, what is it, what are they called? DP Travel. DP World. DP World or something like that, yeah. Why would they care? Like, it's just... And I think that's the nature of, of a lot of these, these companies. Like, they're not, they're not working in the interest of of countries they might operate off the nostalgia of, mm. of of certain countries and i'm sure pno ferries has made made a lot out of the nostalgia that people have as we've mentioned but yeah. they've got no particular loyalty to to britain and i think it's that kind yeah. of surprise that people have it's like the politicians are like, i can't believe the laws that we did the loopholes that we didn't close <laughs> have been used against us and then british people are going i can't believe this company that i went on holiday with and was bought and sold like ten a hundred times before today yeah. It doesn't have Britain's best interests at heart. And I'm like, welcome to the world, Britain. This is where we're at, right? <laughs> no one gives a fuck about you. <laughs> this is the ugly cut and thrust of globalism, yeah. isn't it, really? Like it's fucking a horrible. company paying Indian agency workers $1.80 an hour, £1.80 an hour to do a route between Ireland and, and England. It's fucking despicable, that. Like, I'm like, maybe I'm naive. I just find it despicable that that's been going on and everyone's okay with it. It's so in your face how unethical it is. And it's operating. It's not operating in some foreign country you can forget about. It's like a port. Like, <laughs> just seems very, yeah, it just seems very fucked up, really. But there's also, because of the fact that the ferries have become sort of old school. Like the majority of people, if they're going on holiday to Europe now, will fly. And so I think we've become a lot more aware of the ethics of flying and the way that certain companies behave. Like People will not use Ryanair because they don't like the conduct of is it, uh, Michael O'Leary, the CEO and owner, who's very vociferous and 
very Trumpian in the way that he runs his company. He will just say, fuck you, I don't care. And so people will boycott that and people go, oh, I like British Airways because <laughs> because of this sense of nostalgia and just bullshit. That, like, it's a all... sense of reliability or something like that. Exactly, a class, uh, an elegance almost, gold star service and all this kind of stuff. But I think, yeah, ferry companies have been allowed through the ebb of time to just kind of like sit in the shadows and just be like just doing their conniving shit and nobody's really been paying attention because the only reason you use a ferry is because it's cheaper and you're not thinking like who owns P&O or who owns this company it just wouldn't even cross your mind when you're booking a holiday I don't think it's it's all very shady yeah it is totally shady it's totally shady as fuck I think I just can't I can't help but think that's going to happen more yeah and it wasn't the Brexit point wasn't really sort of underlined anywhere that I read it, but it has shades of it. And the fact that employment law in Britain is has been under attack for decades, like unionization isn't a big thing. Like it's not it's not in the way it is here. And we've talked about that before. I just can see this happening more and more. Where the option is, we could try and fire these European employees employees. But it'd just be easier to fire the British ones. The tragedy of this is that the union that represented the the crews of PO Ferries RMT campaigned for Brexit. Really? Yeah, yeah. There, there's they put out a I think it was a ten point agenda, and it was like the stop the EU clamping down on workers' rights. Such a shit argument. It's like the worst argument. <laughs> oh, God. I had no idea about that. I had no idea. RMT sets out six key reasons for leaving the EU. There we go, yeah. RMT union calls for members to vote for Brexit. Like, what did they think was going to happen? So in 2015, they came out and said they will campaign for Brexit from a pro-austerity anti-worker European Union and that the EU is secretly negotiating trade deals with the US and Canada which will decimate our health and education sectors and hand huge powers to transnational corporations over nation states and their governments. So yeah, I mean, they bought into it very, very early, and they indoctrinated their their members uh, with this. And I heard a, a guy being interviewed, and his father had been made redundant in this, and is still pro Brexit. And this dichotomy of literally cutting off your nose to spite your face is 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 very, very real, and it's very, very, very sad. And at some point these people are going to have a horrible realisation that maybe they could have done something differently. But I don't think they will, because I think I think it's been sort of shown that psychologically when you present evidence to people of the, of the fact that they've made like bad decisions or done something wrong, they're more likely to uh, dig their heels in and double down than they are to accept mm. the reality. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. It's like, well, it was worth it. I mean, there's a lot of zealotry out there, so I guess so. But I just it's unfathomable. <laughs> that is so unfathomable that they and what they voted for was like the direct opposite <laughs> of what is occurring. Like it's just so ridiculous. I mean, for, especially for an island nation like Britain, two two of the industries that, that went all in on Brexit, fishing and and ferries, and they've both just been utterly screwed uh, by this. Um, it's hard to see any light at the end of the tunnel for these seafaring folk uh, who are going to be stuck in towns on the coast with very few job prospects outside of that industry, very little support from local government. Mm. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be absolutely miserable. I don't want to imagine what Folkestone is going to be like in 10 years. If this is the kind of news story that we're hearing, then I can't think it's going to be any any more positive. No. So. So regular listeners will remember, I believe, last year when we started talking about the uh, Brandenburg Tesla factory in Grunheide. Construction began last year, um, even without any official planning permission. Interestingly, the planning of permission came came through, I think, the start of this month. Oh, it is. <laughs> I missed that story. <laughs> Just in time for it to start producing cars. Huh. So as of today, which is Tuesday the 22nd of March, Tesla has started, well, it started producing cars recently because 
Musk was there today to give away 200 cars or something to the first people to buy cars from this factory. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's a lot of weird things have gone on. There's been a surprise for the Brandenburg government when they discovered that Tesla were building a secret battery factory on the side of their facility, which no one seems to have been informed of. But it's okay because it's Elon Musk and Musk is here to save us all and and, and, and he's going to do that by producing electric cars. Interesting that the current crisis over energy that uh, the Tesla factories opened, um, maybe this is a, a pointing to a, a brighter future for a green automation, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, not too green, of course, because the factory was actually picketed today by various environmental campaigners and a group, I believe, abseiled down on the autobahn, blocking the autobahn near the factory mm -hmm. to, to protest um, issues around the use of water by the factory and the fact that despite arguments and a, a district court victory, uh, the environmentalists are saying that the they're going to use too much water and it's going to affect water usage. And apparently some effects have already been felt in mm. the Berlin area, although details were, were few and far between. Um, there has been claims that it's already had an impact. So, yeah, here we are. Musk is in Germany. Well, maybe he's left now, I don't know. Uh, do you want to know who the guest list was for the factory opening? Was Kanye there? Uh, Kanye, oh. sadly, was not there. Um, apparently he was busy. But someone like Kanye was there. Oh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz. They are very similar in many ways. He also wants to kill Pete Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I believe that's one of his penchants when he's not governing the country. It's going after obscure American comedians. <laughs> Obviously, Robert Harbeck was there. I always feel whenever Robert Harbeck is in a place, like it was when he was in... Was he in Dubai last week? Or was it yesterday? He was, he's been doing sort of energy... Uh, trying to find energy um, options for Germany. Um, every time I see Robert mm -hmm. Harbeck in a in a place that's ethically ambiguous at best, right? I guess I was like, oh well, at least one of the good guys is there because I always feel like Robert Harbeck's he's honest. I always feel he communicates in a very honest way. He always sort of tells you. I always feel like he tells you exactly what he's thinking. He doesn't hold anything back generally. But he was there, as was um, Dietmar. I think it's Vod Voidke. Was it? Yeah, Voidka, I think his name is, who is the uh, Prime Minister of Brandenburg. And so they all rocked up to celebrate the opening of this factory. And maybe they got free Teslas. Who knows? I doubt it, because that would probably be a gratuity, which would be unacceptable. <laughs> I don't imagine many factories open to that kind of guest well, list. How many car factories are, are visited by on the opening day by the Chancellor of Germany? It sort of suggests how important the government... I mean, two of the most important ministers in the in the cabinet in Harbeck and Schultz. So it's a statement of intent to how important it is. I'm not sure entirely what the infrastructure's like with regards to recharging Teslas. Obviously, people who got one, I'm sure, have got charging stations at home, but I drove past a, an e-car-only uh, charging service station. It was very odd. Mm -hmm. it looked beautiful, don't get me wrong, but very weird. It's the first one I'd seen anyway. Isn't there a new government policy that any new build property in Germany has to have the installation of uh, electric car charging uh, as one of the criterion from here on. I don't know if that's nationwide, but yeah, I mean, it probably sounds, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope it would be like that. I mean, there are a lot of people I know who have an electric car and don't have a charging station home, but they charge at work. Mm -hmm. um, of course, a lot of companies, especially I mean, around here, we've got some of the, some of the large German companies and they've, they've invested... Uh, in that so yeah i mean it's a, a very cost effective way of traveling to and from work if you just buy your car and then you don't even pay to charge it might might get into that <laughs> i think it's a, a really sensible approach and we've been talking about electric cars if we have to replace the car we have now and i think a lot of people who possibly have electric cars are kind of laughing to themselves a little bit as they watch the the prices at the gas stations go up and up and up. Uh, yeah, I just think it's ultimately down to the infrastructure. And I'm not necessarily entirely against the idea of like Tesla building cars in Germany. I see the advantage. I just find Elon Musk such a detestable individual. But, like business celebrities, I find them very irritating. <laughs> 
it's just like I'm a celebrity because I'm a businessman. I mean, it's not even <laughs> like, that. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, I, you don't have a cult of Warren Buffett permeating social media. Like that's what I'd describe it as. It's a bit of a cult. Is following, isn't it? We don't have a huge Twitter following, but if I tweeted something about Elon Musk that was negative, like we'd catch some heat. They're very, very aggressively pro-Elon. And of course, he is a potential saviour in many ways, which makes it quite challenging because, yeah, if we're going to continue to just let this planet burn, uh, maybe Mars is the great hope. And so far, he's the only one with a real plan to make that happen. I don't want to live on Mars, but go for it, Elon. But I also don't want a Tesla. I want a, I want a little Honda E. They're, they're so cute. They're so cute. Oh, nice. I love it so much. I hadn't, hadn't invested too much thought in it. Just an electric car, but now I'm going to check it out. Yeah, check out the Honda E. It's definitely the cutest one on the market. It reminds me of a, a slightly... It's like a baby Mark One Golf with like loads of baby speck. Uh, it's a little chunky little 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 cutie pie. Yeah, gorgeous little thing. <laughs> I've never heard someone describe a car as a cutie pie. Oh, it is it's quite cute. cute. Oh, yeah. It's very cute. Yeah, I'd, do it. I'd go in for one of those bad boys. Definitely. Yeah. I just think I think if the world's going to be saved by by Elon Musk. We're never going to hear the end of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's the only issue I have. So is it not just worth it for everything just to burn down so we don't have to have Elon crowing in our ears <laughs> about his success? I, I, the thing I find so uh, obnoxious about the whole like cult of business celebrity is like they're so fallible, like mm-hmm. they're so obviously fallible and. And I think of all of all of them, I think Musk is one of the the most like over the last few weeks. What is it? He's he's been fighting against unionization of his factories, which is just just disgusting for yeah. a billionaire to do. In my mind, I think that's mostly in America. Although there's been issues regarding the Betrieb's rat uh, in 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 the Brandenburg factory, which, by the way, EG Metall, the largest industrial union, was very happy with because they got. The people they wanted in the right positions so that's they're not entirely upset about it mm-hmm. but he, he certainly wasn't happy with he, there was a lot of skullduggery in the background of, of electing that workers council in brandenburg yeah. so there's that side of him then he's donating like like spy satellite software and equipment to um the ukrainian mm-hmm. uh, military so you're like oh that's good um, currently, I think he offered out Putin for a he fight. Did, he did. He challenged him to, to one-on-one combat. <laughs> and then, then he's like, "What the fuck?" And then there was, there was. I think he's currently having a spat with. Is it the Chechen warlord? Oh, that guy. Wow, he's he's crazy. That guy. Apparently, he's been he's been offering out him as well. Jesus Christ, he's picking some some pretty scary dudes for fights. Chechen dictator Ramzan Kadyrov. Um, who's known as Putin's bloodhound? I guess when you're that rich, you just like nothing. Nothing's real anymore. <laughs> That's what it is. Is like there isn't any reality. N- not only does everywhere he goes smell of new paint, it smells of like new factory. Yeah, I mean, coming back to what you said about this fallibility. I mean, when you look at Musk, Zuckerberg, and Bezos, like you just know you couldn't just like have a chat with them over a beer. Like they'd all be shit at Paddy's Day. They wouldn't do well. <laughs> And I mean, when you saw Musk go on, go on Joe Rogan and smoke weed, he didn't inhale. <laughs> it, yeah, it was just like it's obviously he'd never done that before, or he'd never done it properly before. And as you say, it's so transparent; like it doesn't do anything apart from people just go, "Oh, you fucking dick." And that's the essence of all of these guys. Like deep down, they're just trying their best to get revenge on people calling them dicks when they were young. But I know he's, he talked about having a history of being sort of bullied mm-hmm. at school and stuff like that. And again, I don't know how much of that is like myth-making and the story of a rise to glory, yeah. you know, that, that a lot of them like to write. There's a wicked interview with John Stewart. I think it was on his podcast. John Stewart was talking about when he went, he went to a dinner party at the White House uh, and it was like um, Barack Obama and stuff like that were there. And um, Je- Jeff Bezos was there. And he's just saying, like, speaking to Jeff Bezos was basically like speaking to an alien. <laughs> yeah. and Jeff Bezos was talking about how the future was just going to be like turning the world of employment into employees who were drones to supply the the super wealthy with things that they wanted. And that's how he saw the world. And it was just really creepy. And no one else, everyone else is like, he's really weird. So, I mean, it doesn't really surprise me when it comes to that. So, But I do think when you're that wealthy, 
so slightly separated from reality so separated that you think it is a legit thing that you could probably get away with and i wouldn't be surprised if they announced putin was fighting elon musk in like moscow like oh that would not surprise I mean, me yeah you'd buy a pay-per-view ticket for that wouldn't you like that would, that would be, <laughs> be that'd be good i'd probably watch the highlights <laughs> So, of course, we have chosen to live in one of the best countries in the world, but also a country that's got one of the bloody hardest languages to learn. It's an absolute bloody nightmare. I did A-level German, so you think that would be enough, but no, it's not. My German is still not as good as it should be. And the way we learn languages is, is changing all the time. I have adapted to just, like, learning as i go with my foundation i think that's it's very lazy but it, it seems to be working all right and of course a lot of people are now using apps like duolingo or whatever Babel, and there are great ways to you can sort of streamline your learning through your through your phone this brings about the debate on how are we supposed to actually learn languages with google translate on your phone where it can automatically translate conversations between languages as we go do we really need to learn it at all and that seems to be the position of the uk government where they have now outlined a new way of learning uh, for gcse language levels so these are exams you would do when you're 16 in the uk and instead of learning how a language works the new plan you will learn instead 1700 words uh, for your language GCSEs. This has been criticised by teachers who think that the Department for Education decision is kind of short-sighted and having a narrow focus on grammar and vocabulary is going to put students off. So Nick, what was it like for you when you were learning languages at school? What languages did you do when you were at school? I did French and German. French and German. I did that up until, I guess, GCSE. I did GCSE German. What was your grade? Do you remember? wasn't... I think I failed. Like, I totally failed I, I had no interest in it didn't know why i would need to use it <laughs> now this is of course a very very common sentiment in british people never going to need it why am i learning this shit who, who knows what would happen if you'd really focused maybe you would have ended up in sweden imagine if i'd bothered <laughs> i just think there was never any impetus put or never any reason behind why i would learn it but the, the process of learning it was quite boring as well mm. I, I like i remember that the textbooks were I mean, this was always the joke. I just assumed Germany looked like the 80s. Okay, yeah. Because my, my only lens into Germany was via textbooks that were clearly from mm -hmm. the 80s. So everyone was wearing shell suits. And then I actually, when I went to Germany, there was no one in shell suits, which was a real disappointment. <laughs> no sideways ponytails. Like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> this isn't Germany. This is some other modern place. I see. You're just in the wrong part of Germany. I, that was my experience up north. <laughs> That's where I should have gone. I was in the south. That was my problem. And we just started at the first stage. And we'll, you learn some vocabulary related to sort of stories, bit of comprehension, bit of grammar. And then each section of the textbook would repeat with some kind of central theme. Um, it's very basic. I don't remember much of the textbook because, to be frank, I didn't really look at it that much. It was just a, a sort of a topic that I did that I had to get through and uh, then I failed and it, no one really gave a shit about it. So, But I'm not entirely convinced with this approach of just learning vocabulary. I mean, it, it just doesn't. I can't see how it works. I mean, there were a couple of issues with it. Obviously, this isn't how languages work. You, you don't just, like, use the word with no structure around it. Obviously, grammar is, is important. But also... I mean, I'm not sure how much truth there is, but I remember being told when I was training to be a teacher that the average student can learn 40 words a week. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a, a sensible amount of vocabulary you can learn. And that means that's 42 and a half weeks to learn this vocab list, which is a lot of weeks. That's, that's like nearly two years of school. Who decides on what the words are? I assume the, the DFE, the Department for Education, must come up with these lists. As Nick said, he did French and, and German, so that's two where you have to do this. So that means 80 words a week in two different languages to do the 42 and a half um, weeks of learning. And then you have people like me. I did Latin as well, so I would have three languages to do this with. It doesn't seem like a very sensible approach to actually have a language you can use. What it sounds like it's going to produce is a, a whole group of people with GCSE 
Spanish, French, or German, just walking into businesses, pointing at things, and having the word for that thing. Yeah, that's what but I'm not thinking. having the ability to say, "Hey, how are you doing? Yeah. I would really like that, please." It's just going to be like Schnittlauch, <laughs> and just pointing at things. That is probably the most important thing to be able to do to identify the thing you want. But of course, language is about communication, and it seems like we're stripping away the potential for people to have the confidence to communicate in a foreign language. Knowing the music, the grammar, the melody of languages is so important. Great memorizing the lists, and I'm sure that'd be really good for memorizing, say, the the articles when it comes to German. But knowing that your verbs change and your nouns change, <laughs> like even if that's just a plural, but understanding why and how that works and what wh when it changes, when it comes to things that change, when it comes to accusative or dative, genitive, all of those things are important to understand too. And there's like the mechanics of it, but also mm -hmm. the concept of Hochdeutsch versus the Deutsch that you're exposed to in Germany. Like that's something that you really need to factor in. Cause, yeah. And you get this with, with English speakers who come to Britain and forget that the English they learned at school isn't the English that's spoken on the ground. That's the actual difference. It's really key. It's, yeah, you're absolutely right. And the other thing that this really, really neglects is the fact that yeah, these soft skills are super, super key. But also, when you're learning a language, you're not just learning a language, you're also learning a culture. Because the whole point of learning another language is the ability to go to these places and communicate with people in a way that makes sense. And the only way you can really do that is knowing about who you're talking to, as opposed to just the words you're going to use with them. When I did GCSE German, I didn't plan on doing A-level, but I did really well on my GCSE, and I was like, okay, it would be stupid to not do it, because I, it was one of my top grades. And the only thing that got me through the next two years of doing A-level German, where suddenly it was all about the grammar and the accuracy of language, the only thing I liked about it then was learning about the culture. And the fact is undeniable that I wouldn't be living in Germany had it not been for the fact that one of my teachers in particular, but I had two very good teachers, but one of them in particular really instilled in me a love for German culture and a massive interest in German culture. Without him, I wouldn't have gone to university and read philosophy, and my entire focus, my, my main love reading philosophy for my degree was German philosophers because I was fascinated by their culture, by the language they used to, to write these texts, Everything about it was interesting to me. And that didn't happen just because. It happened because I've been shown the culture and why it was interesting and why it was so incredibly relevant to British culture as well. And without these connections, all you're doing is learning a list of words. And it's, it's really, really sad. It's really, really sad that that's what's going to happen for the next few years for these kids. A lot of the students that I speak to have like three, four, five languages under their belts. And some of them learn those languages because their parents come from those countries or, mm -hmm. or whatever. But a lot of the time, and I think this is actually a fundamental reason why this approach would be applied in Britain and nowhere else, is that first and foremost, I think there's more accessibility in Germany to go to Spain, to go to Italy, to go to these yeah. different places. And so you get like actual exposure in that way. I think there's a cost factor that, that comes into play there. But also I think the German, and I, I think this is just particular for maybe reasons why Germans have a grasp of, of one, two, three languages. But the, the, the German approach seems, seems to be based entirely on the fact that, well, we're not obsessed with our own sort of culture in the same way mm. there isn't like a, a sense that germany is more important or better than other countries and that kind of puts aside any idea that you the the emphasis you'd put on a monolingual culture and obviously as well i mean for english speakers there's a lot more exposure to english through the internet and, and netflix and things but i think a lot of it is the accessibility and the fact that german students aren't sort of culturally filled up with this idea of britain being somehow different and special and mm. important and i think there is an element of that coming through the department for education over the last 12 years yeah certainly if you look at other aspects of education so why wouldn't they come up with this because it's it's treating language as if it's some kind of scientific equation or something like that or this is it the complaint of i'm not learning german can just be like 
you are learning German. You have learned three thousand words this semester. Yeah, yeah, like a box tick and exercise measurable or something like that. Progress. Yeah, and, and of course, yeah. To measure progress in learning a language isn't always particularly easy or tangible. No, not no. So it's experience for the both of us if if surely have to, <laughs> having to explain to employers what we've actually done. Yeah, it's it's very challenging when you're asked to explain what the last six months have been for. It's like well. Yeah, not everyone has done well. <laughs> and I think often as well, because confidence plays such a part in it, you've got to speak it. I was watching something about how the French Foreign Legion learn, because every uh, legionnaire has to speak French after four months. And they do it by okay. doing four hours a day in small groups, <sighs> the leader of the group being a native speaker, and they do that 22 hours a week. And, and like, it's grueling, but I tell you what, you learn the language by the end of it. And I think... I think that's maybe an extreme factor. I think if you were if you were moving to Germany, for instance, that's not a bad regimen to start thinking about. <laughs> it's expensive as well, language learning. But I think that's what it comes down to when you if you want to speak really well before uh, you arrive somewhere. But even then, I learn vocabulary in context. That's how I learn it. Yeah. And I don't learn it just by memorizing words. I have to have used them a few times. And I know functional, is it right? Functional fluencies between 500 and 600 words. Okay. And then you've got levels of fluency after that. But like what words are we choosing on these lists? I mean, how many of them are prepositions? How many of them are nouns? How many of them are verbs? What are the adjectives? What are the adverbs that we're using here? Like what structures are we, are we creating? Like there's so many facets to German that I don't think just learning the vocabulary is ever going to give you the confidence to go out and speak especially when you think about, well, just basic pronunciation. Well, I mean, yeah, of, of course, that's, that's definitely a big thing. And there is also the the issue that German is a language that's very... The one thing it is focused on is being accurate in usage as well. It isn't as forgiving as English can be. Like, if, mm -hmm. if you turned up as a German in America and you were speaking bad English, mm -hmm. if you can be understood, nobody is going to be like, your English is terrible, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong... Um, whereas, like, yeah, that feedback does get given here in Germany if you make a mistake. Or someone just switches to yeah, English. Yeah, that happens. Uh, it hasn't happened to me for a long time, which I'm very proud of. Happened to, happened to me last Thursday because yeah. I was drank 10 pints and tried <laughs> to speak to somebody. And I went, do you want to talk in English? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> I've had 10 pints. So, yeah, ten. I, I felt like going, I've had 10 pints. My German's good. I have to put in a lot of effort. I find, like, a lot of things that I've learned about learning languages has come from the process of speaking it Th little simple things like don't try and predict how the conversation's going to go you've got to be in the moment and listen to what's being said to you because you can psych yourself out by trying to pre-plan so you don't make any mistakes and i think you've got to be more free form mm -hmm. with that and i found i'm more relaxed now but that's taken 10 years you know, of actual experience and interactions and thinking about how I communicate and what I'm doing wrong when I communicate, why I get nervous when I communicate. Mm -hmm. You're not yeah. going to get any of that stuff either. You're just going to get measurable, sort of examinable topic that is sort of bled dry of any interest. I don't imagine that's going to improve. It'll probably improve statistics, but actual applications probably not going to improve. I mean, I, when I was learning, one of the things I used a lot was songs. Uh, so I guess one one of the ways I can finish this little section is by singing one of the songs that I learned. Are you ready? Get in. I am so excited. I'm ready for this. Here we go. So are you ready to learn how to do directions? Go on. Können Sie mir bitte sagen, wo der Marktplatz ist? Hier ist links, denn nach rechts, um die Ecke geradeaus, um die Ecke geradeaus, immer geradeaus. Immer geradeaus. You heard it here yeah. first, listener. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a round of applause for, for Simon there. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah. Great. My German family love there that song. Go. They all sing it as well now. Yeah, that's very nice. <laughs> very nice. Well done. Look at your German skills. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for directions. <laughs> <laughs> at least I know where the Marktplatz is now. Yeah, but yeah, once we get into like uh, yeah the Ordnungsamt, <laughs> that's gonna <laughs> say be a lot more complex. Have you got a nice song for the Auslandsbehörde? <laughs> yeah, having a bit of trouble there. That's a challenge for next week. <laughs> Hello zusammen. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed Simon's foray into the world of musical performance. 
All I can say is don't be surprised if you see him picking up a couple of Grammys in the future. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also give us some star ratings on Spotify, so chuck us some feedback on there as well. Also, I believe there's something or other on Google Podcasts. I should probably know by now, but, but I don't. But if you use Google Podcasts, go find out if you can rate us. And if you feel so inclined, email me to let me know. Anyway, retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag decadesfromhome or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash decadesfromhome. We're continuing to post links to support Ukraine and the millions of refugees fleeing the war. So if you have some time, please take a look and if possible, donate to support them. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40% German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40% German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! He's a hero, gonna take pollution down to zero. He's a powers magnified, and he's fighting on the planet's side.